With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Big Blue Insider is on. News Radio 630 WLAP and the iHeartRadio app. To interact with the show, call us at 859-280-2287. That's 859-280-CATS. Or you can tweet us at Big Blue Insider 1. Now, here's Dick Gabriel. Welcome to the garage. We're open for business. It's the Big Blue Insider. Yours truly, Dick Gabriel. Socially distanced, safely from disease-riddled Billy Rutledge. No, just kidding. Billy is essential. He is the one guy in our radio family on this little show who is actually allowed to be in the studio, which is where he's been, but kind of kind of lonely, you know. You, you're you're on the throne, but you're by yourself, aren't you? Yeah, and it's starting to get to me a little bit, Dick. I mean, very <laughs> strange just to walk into the same building every day where you'd see about 20, 30 people, and now I, I barely even see one. I didn't. Steve wasn't even here today, so oh. I am the only one here. So. No, Steve Lewis. No, Steve. See, and, and what Billy's talking about is he would spend uh, most of his time, of course, his shift in the control room. But people, it's like a fishbowl, you know, the glass walls. And people often duck their heads in and talk to them about this and that or just to say hello. And, yeah, you know, it's it's two sides of the building, sales on one, programming on the other. And and uh, the control room, of course, the WLAP control room. We have, what, seven control rooms? But uh, the one where you are is, is probably the hub. I would say. So, yeah, you get to visit with everybody usually. Yeah, it's right in the middle of our big building where these pool tables and, uh, you know, foosball tables just sit with dust collecting on them. And when will they be used again? Who knows? All those foosball players are alone. Yeah, it's just been rough for them. <laughs> you know, the, 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 que- the pool cues at that table, they've been in disrepair for so long. I can't remember the last time I saw two people shooting a game of pool. But anyhow... We'll all be looking forward to that when we can do that again. Uh, Aaron is off again tonight. We do have much to discuss, and uh, we've got, uh, obviously, another fine lineup of guests coming up. Darren Henshaw, Kentucky's quarterback coach, will join us, and he is, of course, quarantined like the rest of the staff, but uh, conducting meetings via Zoom with other coaches and with his players. So, And we've talked a lot of football here in the offseason and so much of it has been about quarterbacks. That's going to be probably, well, I would think it's going to be the compelling story for this upcoming football season for the Wildcats, presuming they get to play. And sometimes that's the case with a lot of teams. It's not, you know, when you've got an incumbent. But, man, if, if there's another school in the Southeastern Conference that has had a more of a roller coaster ride when it comes to quarterbacks, I'd like to know which one it is. And fortunately for Kentucky, it's been basically a roller coaster that's been going uphill because they've lost quarterbacks to injuries, as we all know, multiple times. But they've had kids step in and not just hold the fort. They've excelled. Steven Johnson, Lynn Bowden, uh, and Sawyer Smith for a while there when Terry Wilson went down. So uh, looking forward to talking 
to Darren. And then at uh, 7 o'clock, T.J. Beisner will join us. We haven't talked with him in a while. He, of course, with JMI on the U.K. Network. And uh, we'll get his take on the story that broke today. Not a shocker, but, you know, kind of a, a shot of adrenaline for the Big Blue Nation. It is official. Olivier Saar is a wildcat. And it's official because U.K. has released it. You know, oftentimes you know about it, you hear about it, the kid tweets or puts something on Instagram. But until the school announces it, that means they've got his paperwork. It's all about the paperwork. So it's in, and he's in, and he will be that frontliner, Billy, that U.K. desperately needs. And that was the pitch that Coach Calipari and this Kentucky staff gave to him. Is He has the experience and the leadership that this Kentucky basketball team needs, and we are one piece away from being a title contender. I think Cal, that's what he said to him. He said, look what the opportunity that you can have here, and uh, hopefully he can get that waiver processed because he would be a big help for Kentucky in 2021. Yeah, and we're going to double back to that in a minute, but some numbers if you haven't seen him yet. Uh, he had a strong year last year. He had, he had sort of a Nick Richards kind of breakout season, 11 double-doubles, led the team, blocked 33 shots, averaged 13.5, nine rebounds he averaged, and he finished on a six-game double-figure scoring run, including three double-doubles. He had 20 and 13 against Pitt in the season finale, um, in uh, the 19-20 season finale. Had a career-high 30 and 17 in a win over Notre Dame, 25 and a double OT win over Duke, and then double-doubles three straight, Virginia, Clemson, B.C., had 21-13 and 13 against Arizona. So, yeah, this guy was clearly playing his best basketball when the season ended, just as Nick Richards was. So it would have been cool to see what Olivier Saar might have done. I, I can't even remember what their record was if they would have made the NCAA tournament. I don't think they would have. But uh, anyway, uh, he, he would have been uh, – it would have been fun to see what might have happened if he's going up – against some of the other teams, and just like Nick Richards from across the country. Now, will he play next year? Does he have to wait a year? Well, by rule, yeah, he's got to sit out a year. However, he is applying. This is let, Let's take the pandemic off the table where they might grant a season for everybody. Um, <clears throat> but this is a guy who played for Danny Manning. He signed with Wake Forest because of Danny Manning and had a great relationship with Manning and his family uh, and – when Danny Manning was fired, Olivier Sar decides it's time to move on. And so on those grounds, he will appeal. And in my opinion, I'm not in favor of blanket transfers, but I think in this case in particular, not this specific case, but if kids are signed by one coach and a guy gets fired, I think a kid ought to have the option to leave. Some kids wouldn't. But I think it's only fair. And by the way, Wake Forest waited and waited and waited. Didn't didn't bang Manning at the end of the season. And I don't care what was going on with the pandemic. They waited and waited. And in my opinion, the cynic in me says they wanted to make sure they held on to their players before they knew who the next coach was. But that ain't kosher in my opinion. So uh, I think this is one – waiver billy and i know you agree that i'll be granted well i hope i mean who knows what the ncaa is going to decide next but if this is the case or this case is the one to show that you should get immediate eligibility he told yeah. espn that uh coach manning and the staff were family and he has been in an emotional struggle ever since but uh, one detail i found interesting was that 
If he does not become immediately eligible, he told ESPN that he will start his professional career in Europe instead of sitting out a year. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that this is the perfect time for the NCAA to let him become immediate, immediately eligible, and Kentucky's going to get a seven foot, 255-pound French center who has experience playing against the best in the world. That's I mean, right. I played in the French national team. Talk about basketball experience that this Kentucky team did not have before today. No, you're right, and so... As we said, picking up where Nick Richards left off, this will be a huge help. And like you said, leadership, maturity. Uh, here's a kid. And, you know, I think oftentimes what's overlooked is the kids who come from overseas have that added element of maturity. You think about Isaac Humphreys and how mature and poised he was for his age. This is a guy who was from Australia, as we all know, and playing more than halfway around the world. And we take that for granted. You know, there are kids, I knew kids who transferred back to home to Louisville from UK because they were too far from home. Or I knew kids from where I grew up, Louisville, who didn't want to go to UK because it was too far from home. You know, that's just, I, I don't know if it's inherently American. I think that's a, there's a lot to that. But it's nothing for a lot of these kids. We've talked to college football players who hadn't seen their family in a year because they decided – the best thing is to get an education in the U.S. and an athletic scholarship was that are only out. And so here they are with a foster family halfway around the world. You ever think about that? Uh, not really. You know, I don't think about every, all the other struggles that these foreign kids have to go to. You know, I was trying to think of who's the best foreign player to play at Kentucky, maybe John Calipari era or not. I mean, I, hopefully this works out and he is immediately eligible. Yeah. Uh, I just think his game is going to translate so much better than maybe like a, a, the harms guy from Purdue. Would. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and that, that kid's going to be fine, you know, playing at BYU. But, you know, our, our pal Rick Bozich over in Louisville, tweeted about harms. And he said, I just can't understand the excitement uh, about a kid who was, you know, was maybe a top 20 at best center in the Big Ten. But you're talking about a Kentucky team that needs bigness, you know, so he would have helped regardless. But I think this kid, and this is, it sounds like Sarah Graves. It's not. Look at the numbers. Look at the competition. I think this kid's going to help Kentucky a heck of a lot more. And like I said, I think Harms will be fine. He'll learn a lot under Mark Pope. But, you know, I think Kentucky got the better end of this. Uh, and while we're talking new faces, Kentucky got a commitment, and somewhere Mark's story is smiling because he is a North Harden High School product, and so is Lavelle Wright, who has committed to Kentucky's three-star running back, took Kentucky over Northwestern, Boston College, Tennessee, Missouri, Vandy, West Virginia, and Purdue. He was the biggest reason offensively that North Harden had a huge year last year. 13-1 and one were the Trojans. He rushed for 1,900 yards and uh, 26 touchdowns. So that gives him, uh, that gives Kentucky another commitment to go along with Armand Scott, Chauncey Magwood, and D-lineman Khalil Saunders for the class of 2021. And for those of you who are concerned that Kentucky will lose sight of the success it's had with the two-star, three-star kids being developed, this is a three-star guy who I think will develop greatly uh, at Kentucky. I'm not saying he's going to be great, but he's got a chance to really, really get better at a place where running backs have been developing well. Uh, Charles Davis has joined CBS, part of its number two NFL crew. Charles Davis, at what point 
was the sidelines reporter for the SEC TV network. Now, this is pre uh, the network we've got now, but the SEC on TBS, that you know, that rights holder, and he'd slowly worked his way up, played, I think, at Tennessee, and really, really talented guy, and has worked his way all the way up to the number two NFL crew at CBS. So only Tony Romo's in his way. I like him. Oh, I, I, he's great. I think he brings a lot to the broadcast. You know, unfortunately, he is the voice on Madden. So if you play that video game a lot, you can kind of get tired of him. But he is very good at what he does. Well, and you know, he he probably makes more on Madden than he does. Well, I don't know if he makes more, but I know from people who worked on Madden, they they are paid well. They are paid very well. Good for him. The Preakness will be held October 3rd, according to WBAL-TV in Baltimore. Governor announced in March that the Preakness, of course, would be postponed. Derby set for September 5th. No date yet for the Belmont. So you've got a little more of a layoff between the Preakness and the Belmont. I'm sorry, the uh, the Derby and the Preakness now. Usually you only have, uh, what is it, two weeks? And so now you got a little more time, uh, which, you know, they, they might not have needed because the three-year-olds will be far more physically developed. And by the way, speaking of, there was a great article. It's kind of complicated, but if you Google it, Ray Pollock had it. It was a fascinating story about the fact that, that Dr. Larry Bramlage, who's a terrific vet, you know him from, from the, the on-camera presence <clears throat> with the uh, horse racing on NBC. He wrote uh, a, an essay or whatever you want to call it, a report, explaining why two-year-olds in training, two-year-olds training up to a race, it's far better for them. Some people think they shouldn't even be trained to race until starting their three-year-old year. He explained why physiologically, medically, scientifically, it's better for the horse developmentally to train and race at age two. It's kind of complicated, but basically what it is is it activates the, the growth process in their bones, in their blood, in their genes, and there is scientific evidence to back that up. So think about that when you think about how early it is for a three-year-old to be training for these big races. But when you look at the fact that they'll be training in the fall, uh, apparently horses at, uh, let's see, at, at the end of their first year of life, they're at 94% of their body size. Now compare that to a human. You know, and we always we know animals grow faster, but... Uh, it was it was a great great article and uh, it just makes you feel a little bit better I think about horse racing which I like and I think most people around here do. well I don't remember who said it on this show though Dick but talking about this Kentucky or not just Kentucky but the Derby and all these horse races they're gonna try to get it in I mean these horses are only three once so if exactly. they were to go an entire year without these big races yep. it would devastate some people well and you think about horses that get sick or injured at age three, and they're knocked off the Triple Crown Trail. How devastating that is right. for people. So, yeah, that's exactly right. All right, coming up, we're going to find out just how hard it is to play offensive line in the National Football League, or college football for that matter, and more about Jerry Krause and his mission to break up the Bulls. That and more coming up on the Big Blue Insider, 630 WLAP. This is the home of the Wildcats, 630 WLAP. Because you had to be a big shot, didn't you? You had to open up your mouth. 
Welcome back to the Big Blue Insider. Dick Gabriel, Billy Rutledge, glad to have you along here on the Wednesday edition of our program. Scrolling through Twitter the other day, as most of us have been doing during this pandemic, staying on social media, I came across a retweet from John Schlarman, who, of course, is Kentucky's offensive line coach and one of the best in the country, as you know. And, of course, John is a former offensive lineman and played on two really bad knees, but still uh, was coached very well, worked really hard, and got the most out of his ability at a position that is extremely difficult to play. How tough? Well, uh, he retweeted a video from Mark Schlereth, who, uh, of course, is a broadcaster, now works for Fox, played 12 years with the Redskins and the Denver Broncos. And Schlereth, for whatever reason, decided he would take up the cause for offensive linemen and try to explain. I think this came after the draft when people kept talking about skilled players versus non-skilled players. And Schlereth went on a rant, and I retweeted it because it was so wonderfully delivered, conceived, and uh, performed uh, that I had to share. And we're going to share the audio, audio with you right now. Hey guys, your boy stinking. I'll admit, I'm a bit triggered right now. I am so sick and tired after this last draft of hearing all these experts, these fantasy football experts, tell me about the importance of the skill position players and having speed at the skill position players. Let me tell you what the greatest skill in sports is, right? Taking a man who's the same size, weight, and strength as you and moving him from point A to point B against his will. That's a skill. Man, that's the toughest skill in all of sports. And think about this now. Uh, positional transition, right? You've all seen it happen before. You've seen a cornerback go from corner to safety, and you've seen a safety transition from safety to linebacker. You've seen a linebacker who's a stand-up player transition, put his hand in the dirt, and become a rush defensive end. You've seen a defensive end put on weight and transition to defensive tackle. You've even seen a defensive tackle transition to the offensive side of the ball and play offensive line. You know what the transition for an offensive lineman is? It goes O-line, fan. That's the transition. We are the last rung on the athletic ladder. That's right, the last rung. And you don't go anywhere after you play offensive line. You go into the stands. That's the transition for offensive linemen. So that is why it's one of the greatest skills. Think about this. 65 plays in a row. The average offensive play count is about 65 plays. For 65 plays, you have to beat the man in front of you. You give up one sack at the end of the game, and you're some schlub, and that guy goes to the Pro Bowl. That's how it works. And think about this. Every play that you line up, the guy that you're lined up across from, that you're required to block 65 plays in a row, that guy's a better athlete than you. So let's talk about technique and let's talk about real skill. That's playing offensive line. So I don't want to hear any more about the skill position players. The real skill position players are the five guys up front. And I rest my case. You cannot argue with any of that. None of it. No, I, I mean, feel like he was talking to me, too. <laughs> fantasy experts yeah. talking about skill positions. Don't he know was, what we're talking about. He wasn't just talking about fantasy experts, either. He was talking about the talking heads, and he really can't call people out by name because he's a studio guy sometimes. But he nailed it. And for the longest time, I've thought, yeah, the toughest thing in sports, hitting a curveball? No, he's right. Moving the guy across from you who doesn't want to be moved and is probably bigger and a better athlete. Left tackle, second highest paying position in the league. As well it should be. Man, that was good. Darren Henshaw's next here on 630 WLAP. 
You're listening to Big Blue Insider with Dick Gabriel on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome back to the Big Blue Insider. Dick Gabriel, Billy Rutledge. Mike DeCourcy has weighed in on Twitter. We, we love Mike. He is a terrific college basketball writer and friend of the show. And he basically said what we were just saying, and that was a week ago, UK fans were disappointed to see Matt Harms transfer to Brigham Young. Sometimes, according to Mr. DeCourcy, things turn out for the best. Wake transfer Olivier Saar is a better fit for the Wildcats. And, uh, yeah, if, as we've just been saying, I think Kentucky's going to be better off. And another voice checking in regarding this story and the transfer eligibility issue, Seth Greenberg of ESPN. Of course, Seth is a former coach and uh, popular with some of you, not so much with others, but he always has an opinion and he's interesting and entertaining. And he supports immediate eligibility under a few circumstances. And this is one of them. Billy and I were just talking about that. And he says, quote, Oliver Olivier sorry, should be eligible immediately. I've always felt when a school makes a coaching change, players should have the opportunity to transfer, especially in the wake situation where they made the change so late in the process. The WFU administration should support his appeal. So uh, I think we're all in agreement on that one. And uh, I don't know. You just don't know because whatever committee – I don't know who, if it's the same people on that committee each time, if they're serving like a two-year hitch or something like that. But they do make it difficult to understand why sometimes they grant the waiver and sometimes they don't. It, you know, if, if a kid is transferring to be close to a family member who's in bad shape in terms of their health, yeah, you know, that's easy to understand. But they've turned down kids in similar situations. So, that's just something we'll have to keep an eye on. I mentioned earlier that, and this, of course, comes in the wake of the Michael Jordan uh, explosion, if you will, uh, regarding the, the documentary. Really entertaining, no question about it. And the villain, as they pretty much established early, was going to be and is Jerry Krause. Now, the fact that Krause is not here to defend himself has prompted some, I don't know, sympathy from people. And they've pointed that out. But you've also got, and you know, Pippen, Jordan, didn't like him, made no bones about it, uh, belittled him publicly, even, you know, while he was alive, while they were with the team. But even Steve Kerr said the guy just couldn't get out of his way. So it's, uh, it just keeps popping up. Did his job, though, right? I mean, right after Jordan was upset about doing it all, he got Scottie Pippen, and then he got Dennis Rodman. So, you know, he gets he doesn't get a lot of credit, or maybe he doesn't get enough that he deserves after bringing so many talented guys in. Yeah, well, what's interesting is the new spin on this, and uh, Meta Peace, did, I'm sorry, Meta World Peace, did an interview where he talked about his relationship with Krause, who drafted him and brought him in after the Michael Jordan era. And so what he said in his interview was basically, and what it, what it essentially confirms was that, and this I think goes back to Krause's, and I'm playing armchair psychologist here, Krause's ego. He wanted to break up 
the Bulls and then do it again. So what he told who was run our test back then, he said, I'm going, he said, Ron, we're going to get number seven and you're going to be here and it's going to just destroy those other six titles. He said, Jerry would always say that, quote, number seven is the most important one. That is just brazen, don't you think? I mean, to to not be not allow yourself to enjoy the spoils of victory. You know, no, he didn't draft Michael. It was a no-brainer to draft him. But then he basically discovers Scottie Pippen, brings in Horace Grant, Tony Kukoc, uh, hires Phil Jackson, uh, makes the Oakley trade. I mean, he built that team and, you know, negotiated the contracts and all that. But his ego needed to be fed and stoked so much that he wanted the credit for building that team. Then he wanted it again. Well, how do you how do you tell a coach and a team that this is your last season before the season starts, especially yeah. after they're winning all these championships? I understand that he wants to start fresh and – Maybe he wants to take credit for rebuilding the Bulls for the next 10 years as well. But at the same time, you, you're winning. You're winning a lot. And to begin the next year by saying this is the your last year, that was bizarre to me. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And, and when you think about having that hung on you, you're Phil Jackson, you're told you ain't coming back. And he's told the players. And, and to one end, I give him credit because to not have done that, I think, on the one hand, would have been reprehensible. But on the other hand, to say you could go undefeated, you could win a title, you're still not coming back. And then hang that on the players, that hung over over them the entire season. Man, they still go out and win. But again, Boiler alert. they get the chance, yeah, they, they get the chance, though, to funnel all their aggression at Krauss. So let, let's win this one and stick it in his face. I just think the seventh is going to destroy the other six. That blows my mind. And the poor Tony Kuko. I mean, <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, it was, I think it was right before that Dream Team game, the Bulls were talking about bringing him in or had drafted him. And so Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen just didn't let the man have a breath in that first game that they played against him. Yes. I mean, that that kind of directed back to uh, Jerry Krause and just kind of sticking it back to him there. Yep, exactly. 280-2287-800-606-4263. Tweet us at Big Blue Insider 1. Let's go to line one. That's Wendell. How are you, Wendell? Having to have control of everything, having to have his ego fed and control the narrative, uh, that sounds like Jerry Krause. Didn't really hear a whole lot about him back in the day. He was in the in the, on the strings, but who who else does that sound like? <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of Michael people. Michael Jordan. Are like that. A lot of people are like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I love the NBA. I loved watching it back then. Um, Michael Jordan was the best. He was heads and shoulders, head and shoulders above everybody else. Second best player in the league was Charles Barkley, who was. Really, his skills diminished right after the whole Phoenix run. 
you know, after that, Drexler's skills were diminishing. Patrick Ewing never had the heart of a champion. Olajuwon never had somebody to win with him until he got Drexler. You know, I've, I've, there are lots of documentaries about it, but it was a weak league. Um, Bird had Johnson and, and Dr. J to go against, and Michael Jordan in his younger years, and, my, and you know, Magic had, you know, those three as well. There's often talk about expansion and how it affected everything and how it was a watered-down league. I've watched this documentary. It doesn't talk about any – it's it's all about feeding Michael Jordan, and I think he's the best player ever, but I don't think he played against anybody that was his equal. Um, Kobe has played against Tim Duncan and – had Shaq to go with him and played against LeBron and Dwayne Wade and and, uh, Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen, a bunch of elite players. The second best player in the league was Charles Barkley, who was 6'4", 300 pounds. Well, then he got in shape. And Carl Malone was maybe maybe up there as well um, with John Stockton to play with. But but let me ask you this. let Let me interrupt you for a second. When I think about all the guys on the Dream Team, I mean, there were some great players on that squad. You know, and Larry Bird wasn't even at his best. His back was bothering him, but... Um, he retired. Yeah, I mean, he never yeah. played another game after that. Yeah. He retired. Yeah. Uh, he played against Magic. He played against Isaiah Thomas, who was, for all his personality faults, if he had him, a great player. You you follow the NBA more than I do. You feel like it's just a stronger product and a stronger league right now? I feel like it's way stronger right now. Um, I, I think LeBron is a very close second. Kobe Bryant was a very close second. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, we're talking. We don't have the. It's a different game. Um, yes. It's a. It's a guards game. That's right. Um, you know, all Steph Curry. You know, you, you talk about getting points the easy way. Steph Curry can shoot from thirty-five feet and and drain them all day. I mean, he never got to. Jordan could never do that. Jordan didn't shoot a three-pointer this last four or five years in the league. Um, oh, after the, you know, the Portland, the Portland fest where he shot up, made six in a row. He really wasn't a three-point shooter, and I don't no. know if he would be able to. Uh, he wouldn't be valued in today's game. He can drive to the basket and shoot those fadeaway, um, you know, jump shots. But you know, he's, he's he was never a three-point shooter. He had maybe. He maybe had the second best player in the league on his team in Scottie Pippen. Yeah, I, I don't know if he Scottie was the second best, but he was certainly one of the top ten. Uh, and to your point, the sixty-three point game, zero three pointers for Michael. But I do believe that Michael, in today's game, he'd still be the best player if he were at his prime because he would adjust to the way the game's being played. Uh, he wouldn't sit out there and jack threes all the time. He was certainly the hardest worker. Oh, my gosh, yes. But you're right. The game has definitely I mean, he changed. Lift. Go ahead. Um, that being said, I, I think it's a much more physical game back then than it is today. Oh, he yeah. may score more, but who, who knows how it goes comparing apples and oranges. I always thought that Bill Russell and, and Kareem were and, and Wilt were the three best players. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Will Chamberlain could probably fit in today's game because he was such a great athlete. Yes, 
You're right. But, you know, it's interesting, too. So, you're, you're absolutely right, Wendell. Thanks for your call. appreciate it. Uh, he's Reynolds right when he talks about the physicality of the NBA. It had become almost unwatchable, and I don't think this is when it course. In fact, it did not. Uh, you know, you, you go back to that famous period when the NBA playoffs, the, the, the NBA championship one year, the, the weeknight games were broadcast on a delayed basis, if you can imagine that, because there just wasn't interest in the game. Uh, but the marketing effort and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and all, and then Michael a little while later, it, it all kind of came together to make the game much more popular. But I will tell you this, uh, when I lived in Dallas in the early 80s, 83, 84, and went to the Mavericks games all the time, and I fell in love with the NBA basketball game, but it was becoming, this was on the on the verge, on the eve of the Pistons bad boys. This was Showtime Laker basketball. It was fantastic. Uh, but then the, the bad boy Pistons really changed the game. And I remember watching the pushing, the shoving, the banging. And it, it got so bad that one of the beat writers for the Dallas Morning News interviewed the director of officials for the NBA and said, man, these guys are beating the crap out of each other all over the floor. And the officials, with at, with the blessing of the teams, the coaches and GMs, said, if it doesn't affect the play, we're not going to call it. But it got so bad that I think it was Pat Riley basically called for a summit meeting of the NBA brain trust, if you will. And they all got together and said, look, you know, we're killing our own game. It's it's becoming unwatchable. So they all agreed we're going to officiate the game, regulate the game differently than we've been doing it. And it would open up the floor a little bit and, and you know, do away with all this jackhammering and basically just call a lot of fouls for a while there. But it made for a better game, there's no question. I don't know that I agree with, with Wendell Wendell's assertion that uh, and today, Michael Jordan wouldn't be valued as. Hey, much. I'm about to ask Wendell to co-host the next millennial takeover with me. I loved that call. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, Wendell's got Wendell make your eight points. But uh, you know, I will say one thing. You know, Jordan was so great and maybe a so ahead of the entire pack that there were separate rules created to oh, defending him. I well, mean, remember the book, the Jordan rules. Yeah, that's what I mean. The Jordan rules. I mean, yeah. the competition wasn't there, so they had to make a whole rule book based around how to defend this guy the best. And I think maybe one thing that captivates Michael Jordan to the hearts of many is that he was that much better than everybody at the time. And the only reason why the Rockets were able to win during the 90s was because he took a break and played yeah. baseball for two yeah. years. I mean, this guy was so great that there weren't just a different rule book around him. He, he was winning back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back titles multiple yeah. times. Yeah, and you know what? I'll take your opinion. You can take mine, and we can stick him in a paper sack. You know who agrees with you? Larry Bird. Really? Uh, you know, well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's not that Larry Bird jumped up and said, Billy Rutledge is right. But uh, That's what I thought. <laughs> well, I'm sure he would <laughs> if he heard you. Make sure he tunes in on Friday. Uh, Millennial Takeover Friday, spoiler alert. But it's listening to the Magic Johnsons and, and the Birds and all those guys who put Charles Barkley, all those guys who played against him. Um, yeah, Charles... I think he might have tipped the scales at 300 at one point. He did get himself in shape. I do think Charles uh, at one point was the second best. It might have been his MVP year, you know, when they lost to the Bulls, was the second best player in the league. No question about that. But 
I, I'm not learned enough about the NBA to say it was more skilled. It's more skilled now than it was back then. I just think it's different skills on display what? because the ball is. Their people are scoring from farther away from the basket. Oh, it's it's completely different game. That's yeah. for sure. Steph Curry is one of the guys that completely revolutionized it. But I think one of my favorite parts of this MJ doc was something that I'd already seen, and that was the practice where uh, what they say the the best practice yes. of all time, where yes. uh, Magic and Larry really passed the NBA on to Michael Jordan uh, and just really recognized the greatness that he had uh, before that dream team run. I, I, that was. I feel like the transition from that late 80s to the 90s, the yeah. bird magic to Jordan, and then yeah. we've kind of evolved now to the Kobe and then to the LeBron. So. Kind of passed the baton. Right. Let's get a call from Roy before we get to the break. Hey, Roy. Yeah, I'm happy we got Sar. I'm just hoping it is eligible, and I got uh, a comment to make, and I'll get off here. All right. I believe Kentucky will get the Anselm kid, and I believe they'll get the kid from uh, uh, the – the Williams kid, and I'll get off and listen to what you got to say. Thank okay. you. Okay, thanks. And uh, with that, we'll take that up after the break. We're up against it. Two eight zero two two eight seven. Sorry, we did not hook up with Darren Inshaw some other time. Back in a minute, six thirty. WLAP. Find service form or call two one nine twenty two hundred. That's two one nine twenty two hundred. This is the home of the Wildcats. Six thirty. WLAP. Welcome back to the Big Blue Insider. Dick Gabriel, Billy Rutledge coming up. T.J. Beisner will join us. Uh, Roy believes they'll get Frank Anselm. He cut his school list to six the other day. And Kentucky is still in the mix. This is the young man from Nigeria. Played his last year of high school ball in California. Looking at Western Kentucky, Billy. Hey. Syracuse. Hey, I know. Uh, Syracuse, Seton Hall, San Diego State, Arkansas, and UK, so he could go border to border. You just don't know. We were talking about the maturity of kids who are so far from home. Here's another one: Nigeria to California, and then could stay in California, could come to Kentucky, could go all the way up to Syracuse. Hope he likes cold weather, if that's the case. Um, and for Cal's next great act, he goes from grad transfers to foreign players. Yeah, exactly. Which he's had before. He's had a couple, a couple, three foreign players. So, uh, and on not, not even counting the kids from uh, Canada. He's he's done well with kids from Canada. Uh, Two four seven posted his final recruiting rankings for the basketball class of twenty twenty, and Brandon Boston made quite the leap, didn't he? He jumped in the eyes of 247 from 16 to number 5. So that makes him, according to 247, the highest-ranked player in the U.K. class, which is the number one class. First U.K. recruit to finish in the top five, if you're worried about such things, since Scal Abissier. Scal was number two overall back in 2015. How about that? I forgot about that. I did, too. Uh, I knew he was top 10, but Terrence Clark dropping four to nine. Uh, let's see. Devin Askew moved from 28 to 34. Lance Ware fell from 36 to 40. And Cameron Fletcher dropped from 47 to 73. So a little bit of a gap there, but it's all about what they do once they get here. And it's interesting to me, other polls will have uh, these guys rated differently. But Boston has been consistently one of the highest-ranked kids in the country. Right, and that's why it was so important to get a big man. I mean, you have oh, yeah. so much talent coming in. 
especially some scorers. To, to, so if you could have the point guard, uh, Davian Mintz, that has some experience That's right. That's playing right. college ball, and now you got a big man down low who's played on the French national team and got better as the season went along in ACC play last year, I think they got the winning formula starting to crank up here. I agree, you know, and you forget about the fact that the rankings, if you're all eat up with recruiting rankings, and that's fine. A lot of you get really excited about it. Uh, yeah, like Billy said, you got to remember the transfers too. That's like the red shirts for football. Add that into your recruiting class. Helps a lot. Exactly right. Coming up in hour number two, T. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.